Okay, a question before we start. Do you believe your future is preset, preordered, and that basically you don't have anything to do with it? Uh, it is what it is. I hear all kinds of statements. Or uh, Doris Day, the great theologian, said, whatever will be, will be. Or do you have, do you have the power of choice in shaping the future that you want? A lot of people don't think so, but I'm going to prove you absolutely do. So we're going to talk about creating the future of your dreams, creating the life you really want. Now, we know from Scripture that God is the only one that can create something out of nothing. In Genesis 1, it says, when there was nothing, God spoke and it came into being. Correct? Yeah, yeah turn to, it's open book. Turn to Genesis 1, you'll see it. It really was. Now, you and I, we're incapable of creating something out of nothing, but those who are most creative in our culture and society understand the core material from which they have to work. They understand it to such a degree, they're able to take it to places other people thought impossible. Sometimes I think religion seems to limit our thinking about each of our creative potentials. Now, God is the only creator, I get it. He's the one who creates something out of nothing. But you and I are created and designed by God to be immensely creative with the something He created. So for some region, uh, religion tends to create a sense of fatalism. You know, whatever will be. It's all preset, pre-ordered, all organized. I don't have to, anything to do. I don't have a say with it. So as a follower of Jesus, be careful. You don't embrace fatalistic views about your life and the future, and then have the audacity to call it Christian. You get to choose. The Bible says, I set before you life and death. Choose. Blessing and cursing. Choose. God gives us choice all the time to make choices. I'm not, a cow doesn't get these choices. I get these choices. I can do what I want. So let me talk about what your or my creative responsibility is to create the life of your dreams. And I'm going to give you three parables which illustrate three dimensions in building your life and the future that God will hold you, if you're a believer, he'll hold you accountable for. So if you're going to create the life of your dreams, eventually you have to stop dreaming, thinking, hoping, wishing, and you got to get up and do something. Sorry, you do. You've you got to act. You've got to execute and bring it into reality. Faith without works is dead. It's worthless. So here we go, first point. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 10. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take extra oil. At midnight, they were roused from their sleep by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Hey, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a store and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Now, these foolish virgins, King James says, missed one important part of life's journey, and you find it in verse 13. So stay awake and be prepared because you do not know the day or hour of my return. So what Jesus is telling us is that in the kingdom of God, things are kind of measured like this. There's a lot of things that God does you and I cannot do. 
They're out of our control. But there is something that is in your control. You are the one responsible to be prepared. The wise were prepared for the future. The foolish were not. Are you prepared for the future? See, if you're going to begin to be part of the creative process to create the life of your dreams, and you're tired of being a victim in life, you need to begin now to prepare for the future. By the way, if you're plan guys, you plan to get married, pay off your debt. Get out of debt. Pay your bills. Accumulate something. Get ready for marriage. That'll cost you more than you ever dreamed of. Get yourself well prepared. Maybe make an investment in a small piece of real estate to begin with. Buy something that's not your dream, but it's a startup, so you can begin moving that way. Make plans for where you're going to go. If I'm packing my bag to go to Antarctica, I'm packing thick clothes. If I'm going to Hawaii, I'm going to go semi-naked. <laughs> right. So plan now for where you're going to go. So preparation has two dynamics to it. Number one, foresight. Number two, discipline. If you lack foresight, you're not going to live the life God created you to have. You've got to make choices today that prepare you and position you for the future. Let me give you an illustration. That lovely carousel out there in the lobby was in the Central Park Mall, which does not exist now. I think it went into foreclosure, but I saw on the local news while Cindy was preparing supper that uh, they were going to sell it. And I thought, holy cow, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'd love to have that in church for the kids. Well, we didn't have a building to contain it. I don't know if we could afford it. And what are we going to do with it until we get a church big enough to put it in? We were on 281 in a much smaller venue. And I remember the Lord saying, I felt this I've been around life long enough to know that thing's gone. When it's gone, it's gone. So I got to have foresight for the future. So what, we went and made an offer. It was, I think, valued at $550,000. I offered $100,000. They took it with a little arm twisting. Some people in the church said, well, what a waste of money. Eat your heart out now, Sparky. <laughs> the people rallied, and we paid it off in two weeks. It wasn't in the budget. And then we put it in storage, and nobody saw it for six to ten years. I don't know what it was. Six years? Okay. You know, the Lord is sitting right over here to my, to my left. Sorry, Lord. Yeah. You talk about auto-correction on your phone. I have one right over here. Anyway, we put it in storage, out of sight, out of mind, because I knew the day would come when we would build this and have it out there. But we had to do it then because if I'd have missed it, we'd have never gotten it again. There's only seven of those, seven in the whole world. Six are in Germany. And the number seven, San Antonio, Texas. We are the only church in America that has that. Okay? That's a little idea about seizing the opportunity. See? Are there some opportunities in your life you wish you had prepared yourself for in the past? What do you wish you had prepared for back when. See, many of us are speeding down the highway of life and maybe even in the right direction, but we're not stopping for gas. It's not God's responsibility for us to make sure we have oil for our lamp. Whenever we fail, we fall short. When we sin, we are unprepared for an opportunity and we blow it off and say, well, that just must be the Lord's will. Gag me. You have a say in what happens in your life. You have the power of choice. 
choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. I get to choose every day. But that blowing off, well, whatever will be, will be. That's a Christianized way of blaming God for the problems in my life. There are some opportunities you were supposed to have that you might not even see because you didn't have the foresight to prepare yourself for future opportunity. And along with foresight comes discipline. If you can't look from the present to the future and you don't make life choices that prepare you for the future opportunity, well, you'll know what the future could have been, but you'll also know you didn't pay the price to see it happen. Everybody wants a Kmart blue light markdown discount future, and there aren't any. There's nothing easy. Every great dream is expensive, and you either pay the price or you just sit back and be a victim and blame and well and well it was this and I don't have. No, no, no. The responsibility is mine. Now, we're talking to believers right now about this. There are so many people with huge dreams but unwilling to pay the price to see them come true. So ask yourself, this morning, everybody ask, you're watching online, am I preparing for the future? Am I living life with foresight and discipline? Am I saying no to things that give me temporary pleasure? Might not even be a bad thing, but things that take you off the primary course that help you become the person God wants you to become. So this first parable lets us know that God holds all of us accountable for our preparation for the future. He holds us accountable to embrace the discipline it takes to become the person he created us to be. I hope you're developing the skills now, young adult, for the future you want. You say, well, I want to be this, I want to be that. All right, well, then you've got to qualify. You've got to develop the skills for that. And it may take a while, a long while, but you've got to pay the price for the future that you want. See, God doesn't just zap you. He doesn't just sprinkle angel pixie dust on you. He doesn't just breathe on you and you succeed. But it's through the process of preparation, discipline, and foresight that asks the question, where do I want to go? Who do I want to become? What choices do I need to make today to get the life I want tomorrow? You don't just wash up on the beach like driftwood. Preparation, preparation. Don't drop out of school. Don't stop that extra study or a course you're allowed to take or your employer may pay. We have people in here that have gotten a college degree who dropped out early in life but now see the value and the company would pay them for education completed and they went right through. USAA did that as well. They went right through and got a college degree. It's, so it's, it's, it, see, I don't care where you've been. I care where you're going. It's not too late to get on the right track and make a good future. You can change the future. I can't change the past, but I can change the future. Now, the second parable. Here's our second principle for creating the life of your dreams. Matthew 25, and it's verse 14 down to verse 30. And you know, it's the story of these three servants. Each of them got uh, some silver or gold, depending on which translation you read. One guy got five talents, another guy got two, another guy got one. And the guy, they all, all but one doubled what they had. The guy with five got 10. The guy with two got four. And the guy with one didn't do diddly squat. He didn't lose it. He didn't use it. And at the end, he's going to lose it. Now, here's what God says to the servant with one talent. That's in verse 28. It says, then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. Why? To those who use well what they have been given, more shall be given. And they will have abundance. 
but from those who do nothing with what they have, even what little they have will be taken away. Throw this useless, unprofitable servant into outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. Here's a good question. Are you using well what God gave you? That's a good question. See, to be part of God's creative process, not only am I supposed to create, but you will be accountable for what you create. In this parable, the master entrusts three different servants with three different amounts. They didn't get to choose. He cho- the master chose for them. The one guy with five bags doubled it. The guy with two bags doubled it. And the guy with one bag does nothing with it. So notice the second arena that you and I have responsibility that we'll be accountable to God for. Maximize your capacity. Maximize your capacity. Now, you and I have no control over what God is going to do to bring life to an end. You have no absolute control over when your life or my life will end. But I have absolute control on how I live my life today. And you and you alone, you know, you're in charge of your life and resources. So you are expected to prepare for the future. And you and I have no control over how God has created us. Our gifts, our talents, our capacities to a great measure came packed already in our DNA. God packed my suitcase before I ever arrived on earth. Or I had to put some different things in there. But I didn't get to choose, and you didn't get to choose. You have or don't have hair because the genetics from your parents dictated that. Some can eat what they want and have no weight problems. You have the genetic metabolism that evaporates food. And yes, we hate you. And it's it's frustrating to others who wish they had been born with a different biological composition. There are just some things you and I don't get to control. Nobody asked me, where I wanted to be born, if I wanted to be born, who my parents would be, what my race or gender would be, see, whether I would be short or tall, I had no control over that. But what I do have is responsibility and accountability for whether or not I maximize what I've been given. And that's the core of the parable. Maximize what you have. Quit griping about what you don't have. I could write a book on what I don't have. And all God says, I put a card in your deck, use it, play it. And that's what God expects you to do. See, in our first parable, he says, stay awake, be prepared. You need to stay awake and prepare for the future with discipline and some foresight. In the second parable, second point, maximize your capacity. Use well what you've been given and even more shall be given you and you will have abundance. And that takes two things, being responsible and risk. I was just thinking out loud. I've, you know, I grew up on that, listening to that. We started this church in a hotel room in a little Marriott hotel in 1604 at the time. I don't know what it is now. I think maybe there's 100 people in that room. One lady came up to me and said, are we going to have a divorce recovery? I said, ma'am, We just moved into this room. I hope we get enough offering to pay for the rent on this room, which was about 500 bucks. I don't know. I mean, how Christians, you wonder why somebody doesn't want to go to church. I think, lady, we're stepping out in faith. I don't know if this thing's going to fly or die. I don't know. We'll see. But we took a risk. And then we moved from there to a flea market because it was bigger, but it was more expensive. 
And people said, nobody will go on that side of town. It's over Blanco, Blanco Road over there. And then I'm thinking, $5,000 a month? Holy Moses. I'd love to have that mortgage now. <laughs> but I never will forget that little bite of fear. Like, what if people don't come? What if people don't show up? What if we lose the end? What if we can't make it? Because we had to sign a five-year lease. Risk. But where we were wasn't cutting it, and we needed some more control. And then after we filled that place and fulfilled the lease, then we started looking a year or two before for some property to buy. And we found the property on 281 down near Bitters Road, and we bought that facility. And little by little, just like we did in the flea market, we improved it, we painted it, we added stuff to it, we made it nicer, we upped the value of it, we used well what we had been given, although it wasn't much, and God says, I'll give you more. And we're here today because of that simple principle. We didn't start with a silver spoon in our mouth. We didn't start with money in the bank. We didn't have it. I didn't start with an income. We had no income. It was a risk. But to get what we wanted, somebody had to take it, and I just took it. And then others jumped in with me. And my point, my point being, when, when we rented a house, we rented with an owner mentality. A renter doesn't care about your property. He doesn't care what's broken, what's run down. In fact, he'll help run it down generally. Ask real estate agents in here. That's why they want a big deposit up front because they know what they typically But I, I moved into our home in, a, uh, in an idea of thinking like, I'm going to treat this just like it's my house because it reflects who I am. And they had fire ants and weeds. They didn't have much of a yard. But at the end of the year, we had a nice yard and no fire ants because I worked on it every single week. We made sure everything was upgraded so that it was better when we moved out and the lease was up than it was when we moved in. I wish people had that in the church. You know, I don't want to walk around and see duct tape. I don't want to see stains on the floor. I don't want to see Mars on the wall. I want to see everything excellent, and I want to keep it excellent till the last day I breathe my breath on earth. I, I want to be faithful and good with what God's given me so he'll give us even more. Sometimes if you're not using well what God gave you, he isn't going to give you more. So are you maximizing what he's given you? You qualify for promotion when that happens. Now, I love how the master celebrated both individuals who took what God gave them and doubled it. He didn't say to the guy with two bags of gold, but you didn't do as good as the guy with five bags. He didn't. See, you have no control over what does, God does give you or what he created in you. But you have absolute responsibility for what you do with it. And God considers what you do with that a part of the creative process. He didn't say, uh, go invest in stock, invest in oil, real estate. God just said, do something with it. So the master leaves and lets the people choose. Now, you may not like this because it gives you way too much control of your life. But you can actually do whatever you want with your life. You've been created by God to choose. I think a lot of people want to abdicate responsibility of their life, but I'm sorry. You get to choose what you do today and what you do tomorrow, but you will be accountable for what you do with it, all right? People say, I don't know what career God wants me to have. Well, let's start with something simple. What do you want to do? What would you really like to have? And if you don't know that, what's your passion? You don't have a passion for everything. You follow your passion, you'll find your purpose. 
Follow what you like to do, love to do, what you're good at doing. God isn't going to put you into a call that you hate and that you're no good at. That's nonsense. Now, you may have to knock it, take it up a notch and improve it, but the gift will be there, and that gift will bring promotion to you. So follow your passion to find your purpose. Quit blaming your inability to make a decision on God. How about just owning up to the fact you're afraid to make a choice? The master didn't tell him what to do with what he gave him. He just said, do something with it for God's sake. Do something. And when they multiplied it, he didn't even quiz them. How'd you do that? He just said, well done, good and faithful servant. Maximize your capacity. Faithfulness is not defined by maintaining. The one guy with one, he didn't, he maintained, he didn't lose it. He just didn't do anything with it. Faithfulness is multiplying what God gave you. It's not comparing yourself to anybody else. It's just that what he gave me is now bigger than what he gave me. I multiply it. That's what he defines as being faithful. So the second aspect of maximizing is this thing about risk, responsibility and risk. Why did the guy bury his talent? He was afraid. He's afraid of the master. He was afraid he would lose the talent and that the master would punish him. Uh, Rick was afraid they wouldn't have enough money to pay the rent on that building. Rick was afraid not everybody will go that far. They'll lose people. Then we move back on this side of town for this building. Well, how many people will we lose? Will anybody come? Then the 08 economic collapse occurred in the whole world, right? Everything went under. Every, giving went down 40%. What if we lose it? See, that's the difference and a quitter and a winner. I thought just the same thing you thought, but I put my heart and soul into it and says, we're going to bring our air game every day. We're going to trust God. And we made it and you'll make it too. He didn't say it would be easy. It's just possible. And I think this is where a lot of people get misled. We're absolutely afraid of God. We think if we risk, if we attempt and it doesn't go well, God's going to punish me. That is so far from who God is. If we did our best, we prayed, we used good financial advice. It was at the time we made those choices. I could not know that the whole country and then ultimately the world would collapse. People would be foreclosed on. Companies would go out of business. Couldn't know that. I couldn't know about I never heard of COVID. Didn't know that was coming. Couldn't, there are certain things I control, certain things I don't control. But I'm up to, I have to make the best of the situation. And I, I just thought... Well, I'm going to go for it, or I'll live the rest of my life wondering what if. You really want to live there? What if I'd have married him? What if I'd married her? What if I'd started that business? What if? Well, you might have gone broke. I might have, but at least I'd know, and I would learn something. At least God would say, hey, you tried. I told Cindy she can put on my tombstone, at least the sucker tried. Because <laughs> most people don't even try. You just surrender and give up. See, as a follower of Jesus, if you're trying to live your life for God and you're trying to maximize your capacity and you fail, do you think God's going to slap you around for that? God is going to celebrate your effort. God does not measure success of a life the way people do. So Jesus said to those who use well what they've been given, even more shall be given and they will have abundance. So if you'll start using well what God's given you, God says, I'll give you more. If you're not faithful with a little bit of money, God says, why would I give you the lottery win? Now, he's talking to a believer now, not an unbeliever. Why would God give you more responsibility if you're irresponsible with what you have? Do you, are you show up on time or early? What, what's your work ethic? You know, give as little as you can. Expect, expect uh, 
big, big results for minimal effort. That's the American way. Sorry. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Okay, last one. Principle number three, parable number three. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 40, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand, goats at His left hand. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will say, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry? When did we ever feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Third parable is the most intense. And even if you don't understand anything about the Bible, you can figure out real quick, I don't want to be a goat. Huh? This parable gives us clear and stark insight into what matters to God. You ever sit around and wonder, God, what really matters to you? See, God has a nice ebb and flow that gives us insight into that parable. On day one, Genesis 1, God created, it was good. Day two, God created, it was good. Day three, God created, it was good. Day four, God created, it was good. Day five, God created, it was good. Day six, God created, it was good. So here's the ebb and flow of creation. Every time God created, it was good. The first five days were good because everything God created reflected his goodness. But day six was extraordinary because he created man in his image and likeness. Because the difference between the first five days and day six is that in all of creation, everything God created could only reflect his glory and goodness. But in day six, God creates man that can expand his goodness and glory. Big difference between reflecting and expanding. See, if you want to know what your role is in the creative process of your future, you're created by God, if you're a believer, to expand the good. God didn't create you to be life neutral. God designed you to be uh, an expander of good. And every time you perform a loving act, every time you commit an act of mercy, of kindness, servanthood, generosity, every time you alleviate human suffering, every time you bring hope or joy into some person's life, you have expanded the good and increased the honor God, re God re should receive for who he is. So this third parable cuts through religion and tells me what matters most to God. And it's the good we do towards others on his behalf. Because if you want to heal the wounds of God, nurse the wounds of the world. And this is how the creative process divides us up. Goats are those who lack compassion and lack action. The sheep are the ones whose lives are marked by compassion and by action. It's also important that when the master says, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And all the sheep said, Lord, when did we do that? Because here's the problem. We listen to that parable and we think, okay, 
I got to be sure I feed the poor. I got to be sure I clothe the naked because it might be Jesus. But what he's telling us is they didn't do this to try to earn brownie points with God or to earn God's love. They didn't do it to try to earn a position or place in God's kingdom. That was just a general reflection of their heart because that's the heart of God. When you watch Jesus, you see it all the time. When you begin to create the life God dreams for you, the life of your dreams, you begin to recognize it's your responsibility to prepare for the future, nobody else's, yours alone. It's your responsibility to maximize your capacity, to take an inventory of who you are, how God has wired you and made you, of all the talent, skills, and resources God's placed in you, and recognize that you will not be measured by anybody else's life but by your own and that you will embrace in this creative process your role in God's kingdom in human history is to expand the good. And you can only expand the good when your life is motivated by compassion followed by action. It's not enough just to feel empathy for the people suffering. There has to be some kind of action that reflects the heart of God as you serve the hurts of the world. That's why we, that's why we give money to social agencies and ministries in this city that are helping the poor, that feed the hungry, that clothe those who are naked. What are we doing? We're being part of expanding the goodness of God. I wonder how many of us understand that the missing component in our creative process is that we haven't recognized we've been created by God to expand the good and that God will measure our lives by how much good is created with every breath we take, every ounce of energy we use. See, God created you and me not to be neutral, not to be a puppet, not to walk through life spiritually brain dead with the attitude, well, whatever God's going to do, he's going to do. No, he created you in his image and likeness with the capacity to create out of what he created. You can't create out of nothing. Only God can do that. But don't underestimate the amazing potential that resides in you to take what he's made, what he's given you, and maximize it. And when you look back on your life, will that life mark how anything was different because you were here? Did you leave a footprint or nobody remember you? The great danger for all of us isn't that God created something out of nothing. The great danger is to take all the something God created and walk away doing nothing with it. Just pump blood and die. What a waste of a life. I don't know if you want to hear it. John 15, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Translated, mucho fruit. That's a whole lot. So you don't have to worry. Does God want to expand my division, my department? Yes. I don't have to pray about it. He said, my Father gets glorified when you expand. I want you to increase, be enlarged, stretch your borders. God expects you to take a step of faith out there. I'd rather, I'd rather attempt more than less. I'd rather have to back up and say, well, I might have gone just a little bit too far, so I'll back up a little bit. I think God says, man, I love it. I love your risk. I love your faith. I love your courage to, to expand what I've given to you. Folks, don't let life pass you by being unprepared. You have abilities. You have gifts. You have resources. You have unrealized potential inside of you. Are you prepared for the future? Good question. Are you preparing for your future? Are you increasing your capacity? Are you multiplying what God's put in your hand, whether it's one, two, or five talents? Multiply that baby. Are you expanding the good? 
And most importantly, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because he says, my plans for you are good, not evil, to give you a hope and a future, to prosper you. That's God's intention towards you every day. God has not planned something bad for your future, but good. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.